want to interrupt the regularly scheduled series of sermons uh, because of our circumstances today, but also because this is a good opportunity to say some things, and I appreciate what Bob said about communion that I think will fit with this uh, very well. So um, I have a great big Bible, and uh, that, uh, that means we're going to preach. The, um, so we're still preaching. The, uh, I believe it was uh, in Willie Barclay's commentaries where this story came from, but I wasn't really able to, to find it. Uh, but this story has been told many times, and you may have heard it. It's a story of a, of a minister who goes out searching for one of his uh, congregation who have, who have been um, absent from church services for quite some time. And he knew that if he said anything, he was just going to discourage the man. So instead, they sat by the fire together. And you know this has got to be an old story because, you know, it's, it's very British because they're sitting around a fire and stoking the fire and... Um, he reaches in and grabs a coal from the fire and sets it over on the, 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 the mantle. And after a while, they watch. They say not a word, but they watch as the coal dims down and loses its fire. And the man who had been absent from worshiping and attending church services said, I get your point. Now, if you didn't get the point, the point was that if you take that coal out of the fire, it grows cold and it loses its heat. I'm going to tell you a fact that will probably be very discouraging. It's one that you may have noticed, and I don't intend to be discouraging. This is just a fact, all right? Our attendance has been down. Take a look at the, uh, um, and again, you know, you might say, well, we're all here. Yes, and that's good, and I appreciate all of you, and this is one of the reasons why I'm taking this opportunity to mention this to you. Every week in our bulletin, we publish numbers on the, uh, on the back, and, and some of us take a look at those numbers, and those cards that we have you fill out, is, it's all part of our process and part of the business that we do to to pay attention to these things, not because that in and of itself is what's important to do, but just as a doctor takes blood work to see what kind of indicators there might be in your blood that would then lead to conclusions or about your health and things that you ought to do. It, the blood work itself may not tell you everything, but it may indicate something. Well, these are those kind of indicators about church health. And you can see that last week we were at 477 when in times past it's been easy to be at 577 or higher. Of course, there's another number on there that's very encouraging where the contribution is 42,000, which I think is what, is that double or triple what, uh, that's, uh, yeah, do your math. That's, that's, that's nearly triple. That's nearly triple what a regular week is. So, the conclusion of this is we want you to stop coming to church and just send your money in, and, and we'll be okay. No, honestly, what would be the point of having all of those funds 
if, uh, if, if we're not spending time with one another and doing something with those funds. Jesus isn't going to be excited when he comes back and says, hey, look, you guys have got a lot of money stored up in your bank account. Uh, he, uh, he wants to know that that's being used for kingdom purposes, and it's always people that matter more to him. Um, as I said, these are indicators. These are just numbers. Now, that trend in a low attendance has been going on long enough that some of us have been wondering, well, what's going on? And we need to do some analysis. But I, I, I want to say a few things. One is, we know we've had some bad weather. And that's why attendance is down today. And I know, and many of you, you said the roads were fine, temperatures warmed up, uh, the decision to postpone worship start time until 1030, I believe was a good decision. I believe that was a, uh, that was a helpful and useful decision. But we've had some days where it has just been questionable. And we have some folks who maybe, again, we're a regional church. And maybe it's not completely clear where they're at. Or maybe they don't feel very confident getting out in this kind of weather. Secondly, there's been a lot of illness going around. Um, Hopefully, that's all going to come to an end pretty soon. But we've had some hard things happen that, that certainly can't explain why people may find it difficult to come and warm themselves by the fire of fellowship and be encouraged. Now, those are two things that could just be facts that explain this. We don't know exactly in every case why attendance is down. Um, you would have, and by the way, everyone's reason is their own. And you just have to figure that out on their own. But there's something else that these numbers do to us they make us worry. This is the one I want to address. Because the weather will change. We will get over sicknesses, we pray. Certainly the kind that get transmitted around like the flu. But what worries us is we worry that people are leaving because they might be upset, they might be anxious, they might be hurt, they might be wounded, they might be struggling in their faith. And let me say this, because Jesus said that when it comes to worry, that kind of worry is useless. It's one thing for us to be concerned about one another, and we should. But when we magnify this and we turn it into a worry, that it's somehow a judgment of us, or, it's, or, or people are leaving us, don't worry that people leave us. Be more concerned that someone would leave Christ. Because Christ, that's the power. That's, the, that's, that's where the warmth, that's where the Spirit is. Now, it still hurts. When someone leaves you, it still hurts when someone has to move or they have to leave or there's broken relationship. And we need to address that. But worry is not going to help us. Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. He said, which one of you by worrying can add an inch to your height? Which one of you by worrying can change the color of your hair? In other words, worry doesn't get you very far. So you have to turn worry into action. You have to turn worry into prayer. You have to do something constructive. Worry can, though, cause some things to happen. When we get worried about such things, and when we get worried about church, it's a very short walk 
from worry about church to negativity about church. Let's be careful, okay? Because, trust me, as, as one who knows what negativity looks like in my own life, it is a very short walk from being worried to being negative. And when you get negative, you become very difficult to deal with. And that can drive people away from attendance when we're negative. And once again, it's useless and it's not going to do us any good. So what can we do? There's no reason for us to be an estranged family. Estranged families can be very difficult because they they don't want to spend time with each other. They don't want to talk about things. They avoid problems. There's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of worry. As God's family, God has called us together, and he's given us freedom, and he's given us his spirit so that we don't have to be estranged. On Sunday nights, we've looked at the writings of the Apostle John, and one of the things that the Apostle John says frequently is he says, love one another. In fact, there were stories that came about uh, in in the first and second century about the Apostle John, and they said that when they, as the church, would get worried about things and they would get concerned about things, they would bring out the Apostle John, and they would ask him, John, what can we do about these things? What, what, what should we do? What should our response to this be? And his answer every time was, little children love one another. It got to the point that people began to wonder, is John really with us? Is he really paying attention to us? I mean, he just keeps saying the same thing over and over again. Finally, some bold young leader in the church said, uh, you know, Brother John, every time we ask you this, you say the same thing. Why? He said, because that's all that really matters. It's the only thing that really helps. And this is why in John's writings you will find the statement, love covers over a multitude of sins. We can then excel in love. Paul calls it the greatest of all spiritual gifts. And in 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul talks about those spiritual gifts, he, he says that those spiritual gifts are for a purpose. They are for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. So when we have gifts in the body of Christ, and we do, make no doubt about that, we have gifts because God, through His Spirit, has given us those gifts. Okay? So it's it's not just something you were born with. It's not just something that you, you know, came up with. It's not something that you went down to the hardware store and picked up. The Spirit gave us these gifts and gave them to us so that we might build one another up. And one of the places where we see that is in the communion. Recent surveys, recent studies indicate that the church is in transition. We did some studies uh, within the last year or so. Um, I guess it was about, it was January last year, wasn't it, when we had the survey with Dr. Hebbard, and we learned some things about ourselves. We were gathering facts, and we learned that there are changes, that there are transitions. These are not by design. It's what happens. Children grow up. Generations change. Uh, People move out. We lose people. Uh, You know, there, there, there are all of these changes that happen because people move in and people move out. And so it changes the dynamics. The dynamics of leadership are changing. We need people to replace ministries that were once led by other people. We have ministries that need to 
come to their natural end so that new ministries can come up. Just on the front page of the bulletin, you will notice, and I want you to make notice of this and call out others, show them, call this out to them. Two classes, one starting next week, 20-something. That, that class is beginning because we're recognizing that we have many people in this age range who are moving here, or we have people who've grown up and now they find themselves in that age range. So we want to create some structure where they can relate to one another and get to know one another. We have to respond to these changes. These changes can be hard to keep up with. These changes can cause anxiety, which can cause worry, which, be careful, can lead to what? Negativity, and we don't want to go there. But in the midst of it all, God gives us things like the communion. The Lord's Supper is a gift to God's people, a gift to God's family, where He creates a constant that calls us together. That in the midst of stormy weather, in the midst of bad weather, in the midst of even sickness and and, and worry and anxiety, you go to the communion. When I was in Lake Jackson... I've told you this before, we worked on Church Row. There were four different congregations, uh, four, four different types, you know, right there on, uh, on Center Way in Lake Jackson. And next door to me was my friend Alan, who was the minister of the Presbyterian congregation. And we would trade notes on how different our, our church experiences were. And he said, I've noticed that, that, that your folks take communion every week. Yes, and we would talk about that, and Bob mentioned some of the, the decisions that, that we've made that, that cause us to say, you know, at a minimum, we ought to be taking the communion every Sunday. Uh, sometimes there's debates about, well, can you do it more than that or not? And that's, that's kind of where the Bible is silent on that. But in their tradition, they did it, I think, once a quarter. Now, Alan was an Englishman, and he said, One of the things I don't understand about Texas is that when we do have our communion at the appointed times, quarterly, people don't seem to come out for it. He said in England it was so different. He said people would crawl off of their deathbeds to come and take of the communion. I mean, they would roll in there any way that they could because they had to have the communion. And of course, in our conversations, we noticed that there is sometimes this view of the communion, of the bread and the wine, as if it's more than just a gathering where we eat and drink together and remember. It can also be something of a magic totem. And I'm afraid that when we treat communion like a magic totem, as some sort of um, special, powerful item that is in some way, those elements are transcendent from the reality that we live in. I believe we begin to lose the understanding that in communion, we are not only drawn to God, but we are drawn to one another. See, that's why a lot of us are here today. Because despite whatever challenges you had getting here, if you had any, or despite the perceived challenges, you wanted to be here. You wanted to be here for God, and you wanted to be here for one another. I, <clears throat> I can't say that I've ever felt like the bread and the wine are somehow 
magical in some sense or that they somehow have some power within themselves. But I have felt drawn to the communion because I knew that that was something that I needed to do with people that I loved and cared about. When we worship together on snowy days like this, I remember a time when, uh, before Karen and I were married, but we knew each other. And our college group was really close-knit. We loved being with each other. And everything was shut down in Fayetteville that day. Um, it truly was the ice apocalypse. It got so bad, one of my friends was, I was out foraging for food. He went over to the student center and he found stuff in the trash. And Well, you know, he did that all the time anyway. So anyway, the... Um, um, <laughs> Like George on Seinfeld. Anyway, the, uh, he, but, but we were all drawn together. We said, it's Sunday. It's the Lord's day. We can't get to church, but we can walk in the snow. Let's get together. We should have communion. Yes, let's have communion. But we don't have the approved magical items. We don't have Manischewitz matzos. Who keeps those around? Uh, and besides, are you worthy to handle those if you're not somehow an ordained clergyman? And, uh, you know, and we didn't have Mr. Welch's grape juice. What are we going to do with that? Well, we found some Zesta saltine crackers. And then we went down to the coin-op machine there in the dorm, and we found a little bottle, can of bluebird grape juice. I don't know what that stuff is. I think it might be you know, processed bluebirds uh, because... <laughs> It's, it's not grape juice. Um, I think it's, it, can, it can be used as ink to refill your pen. But, but you know what? We had something like juice. We had something like bread. And we communed. Were those the appropriate elements? Who's to say? Who's to say? They were elements. They were, it reminded us of the body and the blood. And we were there for the right reasons, and we wanted to be with one another. I'm reminded of another trip that we took in 2001. Our family, my sister and her family, my parents. And we had gone to New York to see my grandmother because it was her birthday. And we were traveling in this, in this, in this RV because that, that was the most convenient way for us to travel and the most convenient way for us to, to stay somewhere. And and the weekend had gone by because we had celebrated my grandmother's birthday, but we were on our way back, and we thought, we haven't had the chance to really worship and commune as a family. Let's use this as a moment to remember why God calls us to his table. Now, it just so happened to be a Wednesday night. But we weren't going to let the opportunity pass because the Lord's day had escaped us. And all in all, in the calculation of things, was that the right time? Well, it certainly, you couldn't, it wasn't the Lord's day, but when is it a wrong time to remember the Lord? When, it is a, when is it a wrong time to teach your children what this means? And, there's, and, and to this day, my mother remembers that communion. And that is a happy memory for her. And she saw her grandchildren, and uh, I haven't asked you permission to tell this story, Wyatt, but he gave me the sign. Okay, he comes out good in the story too. There he is. 
you know, uh, a young kid with his cousin Emily, and they were, they were enacting the Last Supper. They were standing around the campfire. They were there. They, they, and, I, and, and, of course, as a parent, you're wanting to teach your children communion. And parents, I want you to teach your children about this. Look for these moments and these opportunities to tell them what this is about. That's Deuteronomy 6. Evan and Danielle, that's why we welcome you to this congregation because just like we want to do with everyone, we want to teach our children what we believe. We want to pass it on to them. And so I'm thinking, how are we going to keep the kids engaged in this? How are we going to keep them interested in this? And they're going through it and they're doing so well and they're talking about what it means when they, when they broke the bread and they distributed it to everyone. And our kids are doing that. They're sharing that with everyone. And we're sharing the, 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 the cup. And we did have Welch's grape juice then. So we were, we were right on. And, and we share it. And then all of a sudden, Wyatt and his cousin, they take off. And I said, hey, hey, wait, where are you going? They said, we're going out to the Mount of Olives to sing a hymn. Okay. They got it down. They understood the story better than I did. It's... The fact that I have been drawn to moments like that, I've felt the need to be with others and commune with others, that I think shows us why communion needs to be alive with us. One of the things we need to remember as well is that when you read Scripture, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we need to remember that when Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood, He is with us. And not just on one day. He is with us. We focus on remembering Jesus because of what Jesus said when he said, do this in remembrance of me. But I want to show you something in Scripture. That's not the only thing that Jesus said about the communion. I will admit to something, and I think, I'm, I think I can handle it. Don't worry about me. I've always had this problem, and I remember a preacher telling me this once. How are you supposed to remember something when you weren't there to perceive it? Well, that's, that's my misunderstanding of what it means to remember Jesus. It doesn't mean that I have to recall an event that I was present at. Like, do I remember where I put my keys? Do I remember where I was? On January 1st, 2000, do I remember? No, I may not, I cannot remember Christ in that way. But I can remember him in the sense that I'm aware of his relationship with me and I don't forget or neglect that relationship. And one of the best ways to do that is to do the other thing that Jesus said about the serving of the bread and the wine. Look with me at Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 19. Going back to verse 14, actually. The hour came and Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So after taking the cup, he gave thanks. And he said, take this, divide it among you. For I tell you, I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks. And he broke it 
And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, the words of Jesus are not in red. But Jesus would have said something when he gave thanks. When it came to the bread and the cup, he gave thanks. The words aren't recorded. Whatever thanksgiving prayer he uttered, whatever thanksgiving prayer he said, it's just the point that he gave thanks that matters. On a night when he knows that the betrayal is going to happen, on a night when you know we're always, we're always in awe of Jesus' attitude when he knows what's coming down, and he knows that he's going to be betrayed, but he gives thanks. So when we remember Christ, let's remember a Jesus who gives thanks. And I think that if you're looking for an anchor in a time of chaos, if you're looking for an anchor in a time of worry, if you're looking for some kind of grounding, some kind of orientation, when storms come, when there's illness, when we are being distracted from gathering together, we need to remember that what draws us together is the opportunity to come and remember Jesus and to give thanks. There are reports in mental health that are showing over and over again one of the number one ways to increase happiness and to overcome depression is to learn to be thankful. Look to the communion. Look to the communion. One of the words that's used is the Eucharist. Now, we don't use that term. People will say that term's not in the Bible. It's not. But it is, actually. Because when Jesus gives thanks, the word is a form of the term Eucharist. He gives thanks for it. I know Eucharist sounds like a big $10 word. You don't have to use that term. That term's not going to be very helpful for most of us. But the idea of giving thanks will be. So we ought to turn the Lord's Supper into a time of being thankful. And it's appropriate to be thankful, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. In Hebrews 11, and this is why we study things like judges, because when we remember Christ, we remember that Christ is not only our Savior and King, but Christ was the hope that people throughout the ages looked to. I love the statement. In, in, well, we're very familiar, perhaps, with the statement in chapter 10. In chapter 10, verse 23, he says, Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Are we aware of the hope that we profess? How can we be an anxious, worried people? How can we be a negative people when we have hope? That's going to dispel worry and anxiety and fear. We need to know the hope that we profess. Next verse. Let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And you can't do that if you're being negative. I know some people say, well, there's got to be a place for toe-stomping sermons. 
Yeah, it's in the trash can. Because let me tell you, toe-stomping sermons just gets everybody all mixed up. The Word itself will convict. You don't need a redneck like me trying to convict people, okay? Let the Word be convicting. And the Word encourages us to to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We have a banner right over there. Excite one another to love and good deeds. We're, We're hanging that up on that wall because we're saying... That's why we're here. That's why we come together. That's not just why we come together here, but that's why we communicate with each other. That's why we gather around the Lord's table. That's why we meet with one another. That's why we're having these classes that are mentioned on the bulletin. That's why we want you to form fellowship with one another so that you can encourage one another to love and good deeds. And when you remember Christ and you know how to give thanks and you remember the hope that we have, that is going to get us through the storms and the sicknesses and the worries. He says, verse 25, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's kind of a cliche that the preaching and the ministry is to somehow go and, and, and bully people into showing up for attendance so that they can be counted. I want you to know this. I have no interest in making people show up just out of obligation. I want us to come together so that we can encourage one another to good deeds. I want us to come together because we feel drawn to the communion of the Lord. We feel drawn to the communion and fellowship of one another. Because we know that we have a constant, a gift from God. We have a Savior who calls us to His table and He says, you need to remember me and you need to give thanks and you need to love one another, little children. You know, he wraps this part of the sermon up, and Hebrews is a sermon, by the way. He wraps this part of the sermon up when he gets into chapter 11. And he talks about all those people who looked forward to the hope that was in Jesus Christ. Whereas we have it and we don't dare take it for granted. He says, what more shall I say? This is chapter 11, verse 32. What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you. And look, there's the judges. I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith, look at what they did. They conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fury of flames. They escaped the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became powerful in battle. They routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured And they refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some of them faced jeers and flogging. And others were chained and put into prison. Some were were stoned to death. Some were sawed in two. Some were put to death by the sword. And some went about in sheepskins and goatskins. Destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. But the world was not worthy of them. They wandered around in deserts and mountains and in caves and lived in holes in the ground, and yet they were all commended for their faith. And yet, none of them received what had been promised like we have. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, 
Here's the so what, church. Therefore, since we are surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How can Jesus give thanks on that night that he knows he's going to be betrayed? How can he give thanks on that night when he knows that his apostles will not understand what is coming? Because he can see past it to the joy that awaits. And it is that joy and that hope that is compelling. And it's that joy and it's that hope that draws us together to him. And when we get there, we find one another like we never have before. I want to conclude by encouraging you to do a few things. You're the ones who decided to be here today. And I appreciate your attendance here today. So let's do something with this attendance. First of all, I want you to encourage others. Who isn't here today? Not just today, but those facts that I mentioned earlier. Who are we missing? Who have we not seen for a while? One of the things that we spend time in the office doing is we notice who's who's missing? Who do we need to encourage? Now, you can do that along with us. We, We don't believe we're the only ones who can do that. And depending on who it is, some of you can do that better than us. Be an encourager. Don't go scold them. Don't go tell them, hey, you haven't been there. Don't approach them and say, you better come to church or you're going to hell. Okay? That's not necessary. But do encourage them. Encourage them and build them up. Find out what's going on. Is there a need? Is there a word of encouragement that you can take? We are the bringers of justice. We are the bringers of righteousness. We're the bringers of encouragement. We can build one another up. Second thing I want to encourage you to do is to build one another up. That means that we've got to use our words. That means we've got to use our presence and our influence to remind one another of Jesus, of the hope that he represents, of the words that he has to say, of the joy that caused him to endure trials. Build one another up. Two things then. Notice who's not here. And then be an agent of God's love. And go and encourage them. Let's build up one another. And think about that every time that you have the opportunity. You know, one of the other, let me add one more thing to that list of, of, of so what's. Sometimes we take one another's presence for granted. There's people here today that we need to tell them how much we appreciate them. How much they encourage us. Wow, you know, you don't have to say that. No, you don't. But you should. You should. Because that's the right thing to do. That's what encouragement looks like. So don't let this day go by without encouraging someone who means something to you. Okay? Now, one of the things that we do after we've preached the Word and we've had the Lord's Supper is we allow an opportunity for us to find encouragement. That's what the prayers are about. When These elders come and they stand up here and they look out at you. They're saying, do you need a prayer? Do you need a word of encouragement? Some of them get together in room 100. That's why they do that. They're also inviting you. They're they're, they're representing Christ when they do that. 
We all represent Christ. We are all his ambassadors. And one of the things that we can do as his ambassadors is we can extend to others the invitation to follow him. When Bob was talking about the Lord's Supper, one of the things that he mentioned was he talked about the freedom that we have in Christ. Do you know why we have freedom in Christ? We don't have freedom in Christ because God has become an old grandpa and he doesn't care anymore what people do and now it's just all loosey-goosey and freedom in Christ means anything goes. We have freedom in Christ because God doesn't want to limit access to him in any way. So he's not requiring that people have to be biological children of Abraham. He's not requiring that you have to understand the Bible in the original Hebrew or the original Greek, but you can translate it freely in whatever way it gets the message out there. He's calling us to preach. I mean, he's tasked, he didn't task the elites of the world, but he tasked the fishermen, he tasked the, 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 the people, the outcasts, the ones who were shut out of the temple for years, and he opened up the doors of freedom so that they could spread the gospel. And, and as... as Bob reflected on the statements that David has made. He used, of all the things that Jesus could choose at the Passover, he picks bread and he picks wine because he says, those are the things that people are going to have access to and I want them to have no hindrance. I want them to have freedom so that they can come and remember me. And so the way to baptism is opened. That Ethiopian who for... His whole life would have been reminded that he was excluded from the temple, from the worship of God. Suddenly learns through the good news of the gospel that there's freedom. That the way is free, the door is open. And all he says is, there's water. And when he says, what hinders me from being baptized? Do you understand the tone in which he's asking that question? Because for his whole life he's been an outcast. He's been somebody who's been shut out. He's been somebody that they've told, you're not allowed in here. He's been somebody that's been told, you can't come in here. You don't fit the qualifications. You, you've, been, you've been mutilated. You've been mangled. You're, you're from another country. You're not really, you're not really a, a, a true child of God. He's asking. It's as simple as coming to Christ and being submerged into his life. Is there anything then that prevents me? And the good news from Philip is, no. Because Christ has given you access. If you have that access, don't take it for granted. If you want that access, then Christ invites you. Let's stand. Let's sing together.